Okay, well, you might be wondering why we didn't post an episode of The Modern Recordist this past Monday, and day by day, the week ticked by, and still no new episode, and maybe you were wondering, did The Modern Recordist come to an end? Or uh, more than likely, you weren't too concerned with any of these things, and you just went about your week as usual. But whatever the case may be, the cause of the delay was uh, that I seem to have contracted some aggressive flu. And uh, last Saturday, I went out to a concert, and I had a good time. And Sunday rolled around, and I felt great, and everything was great. And then Monday came along, and I was suddenly and without warning one click away from death. At least that's the overdramatic picture that I'm going to paint for the purpose of dramatic effect on uh, this podcast intro, and it's certainly what it felt like. So Monday, I crawled out of bed, and I crawled my way down to one of the studios that I work from, and uh, I somehow managed to engineer that day's session with my eyes closed, and I had my head laying on the console, and I was barely hanging on to my consciousness by a single thread instead of the uh, usual two or three, and uh, after which I made my best attempt at a podcast episode, and uh, you know, ultimately I succumbed to the flu beast with an outcry of, you win. And um, then I went and uh, remained in bed for the rest of the week. But I did not remain in defeat as today I rise up to bring to you this new episode of The Modern Recordist. So while we did miss our typical release date of uh, the Monday release schedule... Uh, we still are committed to bringing you a new episode every week, and uh, this current new episode comes out later than expected, but it's still coming out, meaning we uh, can all rest assured that we have not missed a single week in our programming since the launch of The Modern Recordist almost a year ago. It's been kind of a uh, unofficial goal of mine to put out a new episode every week for the entire first year of The Modern Recordist with no repeat guests. So uh, this one might be coming out a bit late, but uh, we're still on track with this goal. And uh, so this also serves as a way to try out a little experiment that I've been thinking about for a little while now, which is to play around with a different release date for the podcast. When uh, we started... I chose Monday as the release day arbitrarily, but I have wondered if releasing later in the week might be a better option for my own personal scheduling as well as for listenership. So since we're already way late in getting this week's episode out, why not just go ahead and pull the trigger on this little experiment? You know, I was... uh, probably gonna wait and do something like this after the one-year mark of the show, but uh, you know what? Now is as good a time as any, given the circumstances. So for the next couple of weeks, and maybe continuing after that, we're gonna put out new episodes on Thursdays instead of Mondays, and uh, we'll try this out for a little bit, 
And then uh, we'll check back in in a few weeks. Maybe we'll continue doing it. Maybe we'll go back to the original way of doing things. But uh, enough with the housekeeping stuff. Let's get on with this week's episode, shall we? This is episode 48 of The Modern Recordist, the podcast where we talk all about designing and living your life as an extraordinary artistic visionary, discussing inspiring and creative ideas around making music and art that creates an impact in the world. On this podcast, we sit down with musicians, songwriters, artists, producers, and all manner of artistic visionaries to learn exactly what we have to do and who we have to be to create meaning and live out our artistic visions. I'm your host, John Stinson, a Nashville-based producer, recording engineer, and mixing engineer, a collector of experiences, a lifelong learner, a lifelong teacher, and an artistic visionary in my own right, and I welcome you to episode 48 of The Modern Recordist and another edition of The Producer's Notes. These are the shorter episodes where I run solo for a few minutes on a specific topic around recording or mixing or creativity or uh, something on maximizing your creative songwriting skills. And this week, I've got some mixing thoughts I want to share. I have recently had some people reach out to me asking about mixing tips and advice and uh, specifically things on uh, low end in a mix and panning. And then I also recently had an interesting discussion with a friend of mine that is starting to dig into learning about mixing. And uh, he and I started talking about the creative side of mixing versus the technical side of mixing. So, um, you know, I I really enjoy those types of um, discussions because oftentimes it just brings up things and makes me think about things in a way I've never thought about them before. And, uh, you know, it's really kind of, I guess sort of a learner learning experience or whatever. So I figured uh, this week I'd do a podcast episode out of all of this and discuss some mixing techniques and concepts, which isn't something I get into a whole lot. So uh, let's uh, let's go ahead and first get into some stuff around creative concepts and techniques and mixing versus technical concepts and and techniques in mixing, uh, making music and making records. And all that is a, it's very elusive. And, uh, you know, I've had discussions with guests on uh, the podcast before talking about, you know, the difference in like making an artistic statement on a record and uh, just a record that kind of misses the mark or, or, you know, a recording that is not well done. And, um, you know, it's it's something that can be difficult to put your finger on. And although I know the difference when I hear it, as I'm sure you do as well, and I know how to make a variety of great sounding records that make an artistic statement, um, this is still not a concept that I feel I completely wrap my mind around in a way to fully construct, deconstruct, you know, how I go about making these records or, you know, how otherwise it's done, you know, and, um, you know, it's just an artistic process. And this is one of the great things about making music. It's a discipline where you're forever learning and you're forever in pursuit of mastery. You know, it makes a discussion around why you would make certain decisions when mixing 
some kind of, you know, it's, it's a bit elusive. And um, while you do make a substantial portion of your decisions for technical reasons, there's also a substantial portion of your decisions that you make for creative reasons. And I'd say it's at least 50-50 in the balance. But in my experience, maybe it's a little bit more skewed towards artistic choices. So uh, um, this is why developing a skill for making great sound and music really comes down to just putting in the reps and gaining experience, which is something that I've also talked about on the podcast before. But um, let's get into a couple of questions I got from folks to kind of illustrate more of the creative versus technical concept. First, uh, let's talk about Pan. Someone recently reached out to me asking about Pan and um, how to approach it in a mix. Um, so there's the, the the technical purpose of Pan, which is to work in conjunction with things like you know the level fader or other things like EQ to give an instrument a specific place in the mix so it doesn't compete with other instruments. And in the early days of record making, when things were mono, there was no option to pan things around in the stereo field. So engineers had less options when working to create specific space for each instrument. And then as stereo came into the equation, pan was initially a little less sophisticated. You could choose between left, right, or center, but you had to commit fully to one of those options. So you had more tools and options available to create space in a mix, but still as technology got more sophisticated and influenced songwriting and arrangements, and it, and it, and it made people more ambitious in the studio as well. Um, you know, as that all happened, it then kind of influenced the technology. It was sort of a cycle, you know, it's like a feedback loop. Technology influences record making and then record making influences technology. And as this sophistication of both sides of this got more and more sort of increased, um, the simple left, right and center options weren't going to cut it anymore. So we ended up with the variable pan option that smoothly and variably pans the audio signal from 100% left to 100% right and anything in between. So, I, you know, I'm not really meaning to make this into an episode all about the history of Pan and all that, but that's kind of a basic explanation of the evolution of the tool, which came from technical needs. And uh, as record making got more sophisticated, you know, there became a need to deal with mixes that were more dense and instruments that needed their own space. And, uh, you know, so that's kind of a, to me, sort of what the technical needs of Pan R. It's something that you can use to create space for each individual instrument in a mix. Uh, beyond this aspect of Pan that functions as a tool to create space, Pan is also a tool for creating interesting mixes, which is where the creative side of Pan comes into play. This is also kind of, well, I think, maybe one and the same on a certain level. Finding space for individual instruments in a mix is kind of also the thing that serves as a way to make things a little more interesting. When uh, making creative decisions like this, it's usually all about feeling your way through it. 
It's about allowing yourself to get into a flow and detaching from uh, a conscious thought process while taking some cues from the uh, content and arrangement of the song. Some of you might have caught some episodes of this podcast where I discuss with guests this kind of flow state mentality when writing songs. And this is equally an effective mental state when uh, getting creative with your mix. It's really an example of one of those things that will just come with experience. The more experience you gain mixing records, the more you will find that you are able to feel your way through a mix and just you'll just kind of feel right about the choices that you make in regards to where to pan instruments and making those types of creative decisions. Typically, I like to pan things like drums in such a way that when uh, they kind of widen out in the middle a little bit, but they're not panned hard left and right because to me, that sounds not really, it just doesn't, I don't know, I don't really dig the vibe of that as it relates to drums. It sounds unnatural and sometimes maybe you are going for sort of something unnatural, but it still just doesn't really do it for me with drums. So I tend to kind of widen them out a little bit, but not pan them hard left and right. And then I'll pick a few instruments here or there, like a guitar or a keyboard that's doing some kind of special thing. And that I will fully commit to one side or the other so that the left and right channels uh, each have something unique happening. Um, So that's kind of really, you know, this discussion about creative concepts and technical concepts and mixing, you know, that's kind of how maybe I can describe that as then it relates to pan and kind of, you know, my approach to how generally I approach panning and, and generally what's, uh, what it's used for. But then another topic that I recently got asked about was dealing with the low end in a mix. Um, so where I'll start with this is, uh, something that I learned from engineer Mills Logan back in my days at quad recording studios, which is just to put a high pass filter on pretty much every instrument and then cut everything below 20 Hertz. It's that simple. So when mixing, I'll use this by uh, putting a high-pass filter on pretty much every instrument, and then depending on what the instrument is or what the arrangement or the density of the mix and all that, kind of what the vibe of you know, the type of music or the mix or whatever, all of that, um, I'll either cut everything below you know, just 20 hertz, I'll s- kind of set the filter there and cut everything below 20 hertz, or um, sometimes you know, I may set the filter higher, if maybe I'm working to get maybe like a lead vocal to cut through a dense mix of guitars and keyboards, for example, I might set the filter a little bit higher than that. And uh, depending on, again, the density of the mix and kind of what the specific context of things are, you might be able to get away with, you know, cutting a vocal, setting the, the filter as high as something like maybe 100 hertz or something like that. Um, you could even maybe even push it more than that. But as a general rule, you know, that's kind of what I'll play around with. Um, but in any case, all of this helps the low end uh, because clearing out all the frequencies that humans don't hear and most audio systems can't reproduce anyway, this, this helps to shape up 
a whole lot of stuff that smears the focus and clarity of the mix. And it also helps keep things like compressors and limiters and uh, things of that nature from being activate, activated by frequencies that are really low and can further skew the clarity of your mix. Typically, low frequencies carry with them a lot of energy, so compressors can end up being more sensitive to these frequencies and uh, they can get triggered in a way that brings the dynamics of an instrument down in a way you didn't expect. And uh, by putting high-pass filters on frequencies that are pretty much subsonic anyway, you get rid of all this low-end stuff that often likes to cause issues. So try this little little approach out next time you uh, get into a, your mix. Beyond this, there's a, a number of ways to further dial in the low end of your mix. Uh, a lot of this has to do with the choices you made during the recording process. So it's important to make sure that you get clear on the creative and sonic vision of your record before you even begin recording. So that when uh, that way you'll have a blueprint when recording and mixing, really, ultimately, you'll have this blueprint for the whole thing, uh, which is always serves to, to gauge the choices that you make throughout your project. Where uh, pan is something that uh, pretty much, I think you can, you know, that's something that can always be done at the mix phase of a project. It's really kind of a cardinal rule that you don't want to just leave things uh, to the mix. Like you don't want to delay making decisions until the mix process. That's kind of a recipe to, to end up with a bad sounding record. Um, so most of the time that's kind of your rule, but you know, pan is something that you can get away with. Like you can leave that alone and, and kind of play around with it and not really commit to anything until the mix phase of the project. But working with your low end needs to be considered at the very outset of your project. And, you know, I wouldn't necessarily advise you that, you know, I wouldn't put high-pass filters on everything when you're recording, but I'd at least be paying attention to what's happening and uh, be checking in as I make decisions and choices all along the way and, you know, periodically kind of weighing that against my project's creative blueprint and, and gauge how on point I am with things. I don't know where I picked this up, but there's this saying that goes around that's like always be mixing, meaning even when you're recording, you know, the decisions that you make kind of be maybe projecting forward and think about how maybe this might influence and in your mixing process and kind of things will begin to take shape in the mixing process. So I kind of keep that uh, in mind all the time. And I'm all I'm, I'm sort of in a way I'm kind of loosely always mixing throughout an entire project, even when I'm recording. Um, so then, obviously, the most direct part of managing the low end of the mix comes down to working with low end instruments such as kick drum or bass guitar or bass synth or perhaps some kind of thing like uh, less common, maybe like cellos. Um, you know, it's all about uh, weighing things against the blueprint that you created for how things you want to sound and then chisel things into this sonic space. So, um, you know, a lot of times it's going to just come down to working with these low end instruments 
and working to kind of sculpt them to a texture and tone that fits what you're after. So for example, perhaps you want the kick drum to be an element of your low end that you feel, uh, maybe it's like you feel it a little bit more than you hear it. And, uh, then the bass guitar can come in and that'll play the role of adding punchiness to your mix. So knowing this at the outset of your project, as you fir first begin recording, uh, this is going to help you inform the choices that you make continuing through the mix phase. So I'd say that uh, maybe 90% of getting your mix, the mix that you want, it actually happens piece by piece, little by little during the recording phase. And, uh, you know, it's things like tweaking the tuning and the tone of instruments and then tightening up performances and things like that, that uh, so that, you know, instruments will complement one another in the context of the sonic character that you're after. It's all kind of a nuanced and intertwined practice of technical choices and creative choices, but it all starts with the sonic picture you're aiming to create. So uh, during mixing, I'd say 90% of, of that is getting things to sound like you want them to sound during the recording phase. And, um, and then there's uh, a sort of, I guess, technical choices maybe beyond this that, that um, you know, influence another, I don't know, whatever, minor portion of getting things right. And this is things like setting up your listening environment properly and then just making yourself aware of the shortcomings in that listening environment that are skewing what you're hearing. You know, being aware of this and... Um, that way you you make pr proper choices to compensate for that. And then, uh, you know, and then there's clearing space with filters, as explained before, and uh, managing things like delay compensation in your DAW. It's paying attention to these things, these technical little things that, that there's so many of them. There's so many little variables. Uh, it's, the, it's the kind of thing that entire books can be and have been written about just these technical things and mixing and it's easy to overlook so making yourself aware of these kinds of things and paying attention and checking out checking in on these little things and drip by drip they add up and then the last portion and uh it's kind of i guess maybe intertwined with maybe the 90 percent of you know recording it's creative choices in recording that influence a great mix but it's also creative choices in mixing and um, you know, it's just like my illustration with pan and, and, and what I said earlier about getting into a creative flow so that you can feel your way through a mix and just go with the flow. That's the same here. So again, this all comes down to experience. The more time you spend mixing records, struggling to get things to sound the way you want, the more you will learn your process and begin to just feel right about the choices you make and dialing in the sounds. And yeah, there's always going to be that little unattainable bit that you can't quite nail down. But over time, you will also find that you get incrementally better at sculpting a high quality sound that you're proud of. It's what makes the journey of 
making music so elusive yet so rewarding. All right, that's it for this episode of The Modern Recordist. Make sure you get subscribed and stay subscribed. The two main ways to do that are by by going to my website at johnstinson.com and signing up for my email list. Just put your uh, name, your email in the form there on the front page of my website. Uh, In addition to more tips on recording and mixing and songwriting and creative flow, I'll also make sure that you never miss an episode of this podcast. But if you're more of an iTunes person, you can fire up your podcasting app or pop open iTunes on your laptop, then go search for The Modern Recordist and click or tap that little subscribe button there. While on iTunes, make sure you take a quick couple seconds to leave a rating and review. Good and honest ratings and reviews cue others into the value that you're getting out of listening to this show and helps us to continue to produce great content and book great guests that you enjoy. And finally, if you got something out of this episode and know a friend or three that would also get something out of this episode, make sure you share it with them. Go ahead and drop a link in an email or a text message or even a tweet or a Facebook post and let everyone know how much you're getting out of The Modern Recordist. All right, thanks for hanging in there with me today, friends. Here's to staying healthy. We will be back with an in-studio guest next week on our new Thursday release schedule. And in the meantime, you know exactly what to do. Go live your life of an extraordinary artistic visionary and create something impactful in the world.